Hello, this is David Rhymes, and you're listening to episode four of Footnotable, a podcast about discovering the truth in the details of everyday life. Joining me as always is Oren Connor, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church in beautiful downtown Baton Rouge. In today's episode, Oren and I will sit down with Dr. Tom Davis, Professor and Director of the Psychological Services Center at Louisiana State University to discuss the mental health of children during the coronavirus outbreak. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes and give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to Footnotable. All right, so Oren, we recently got to sit down with Dr. Tom Davis and talk about a topic that is on the, the minds of lots of mom and dads, not just in Baton Rouge, but across the nation and honestly across the world, as uh, so much of our lives have now been confined to our homes, school at home, working at home. As parents, our minds naturally go to our children. How are our children dealing with this outbreak, this quarantine, the changes in their uh, schedules, the changes in our schedules? And obviously, we want to get some good answers because a situation like this, because we've not gone through it, we feel some times hopeless a bit out of control because we just lack the the sure answers and the certainty that uh, we get perhaps from having those normal routines and that's all been taken away. And we wanted to not just sit here to you and I and talk through it. We could certainly do that and provide some insight but we want to talk to somebody that actually has some serious education experience in the area of childhood uh, psychology and mental health. And so luckily for us and a blessing for us as First Baptists, we have a member who fits that bill, and that is Dr. Tom Davis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tom's uh, been in the church for a couple of years now. He's a professor at Louisiana State University uh, here in Baton Rouge, and uh, and Tom is a professor a professor of behavioral sciences, um, and so he's done a lot of research and study in a lot of different fields and areas, and so asking Tom questions about how we can help um, our children and in some cases ourselves walk through this period, this season of time in healthy ways, I think is, is beneficial for those who are willing to kind of, you know, take to heart some of the things that he says. And, um, you know, certainly we want to encourage our children to trust in the Lord during this time, but there are some um, signs that we can look for if our children are, are, uh, are showing unhealthy be- be- behaviors uh, during this particular period of time, even just explaining to young children what's going on, um, helping our older children understand what's it going to be like when we're kind of out of this crisis. Um, Tom gave some really great, um, helpful um, information for us, and I think it's beneficial for those um, who listen in and apply some of these things, some some basic applicable uh, sort of tips for each day, but also some some ways to think through 
what we're going through now and prepare for the future when at some point life will hopefully get back to what we hope is is normal. And so without any further ado, let's go ahead and uh, let's listen to the insight that Dr. Tom gave us uh, as we sat down with him recently on this subject. We're here with uh, with Tom Davis, a uh, member of uh, First Baptist Church. He's a professor of behavioral sciences at uh, Louisiana State University. And we brought Tom on today to ask him a few questions, uh, particularly about children, but but about um, uh, the de- dealing with this virus as people and how we as parents especially can help our children um, kind of walk through some of the issues that are being brought up through this um, through this crisis that uh, we never really have faced before. We keep talking about this being a, a, a brand new situation for all of us. This is kind of a one of a kind, unique uh, health, health crisis in our country, around the world. And so we're encountering some new um, challenges um, at home. And one of those challenges as parents is to help our children understand what's happening and what some of the effects are going to be on families and especially children. So Tom, thank you for uh, being with us today. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Orrin, for having me. Uh, doing very well. Thank you. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, myself and Dave and Tom are all fathers. Um, we all have lovely wives and wonderful children. And so these are personal concerns of ours, but we also want to share this with others because I'm sure a lot of parents are, are trying to wade through some of these issues. So, Tom, why don't you start off a little bit by talking about how something like this has an effect on children. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen, whether in your, in your studies or research, uh, recent articles that have that have maybe have been have have been released about how something like this uh, virus outbreak and the quarantine has an effect, or how how does it impact children's uh, thinking, behavior, things like that? Well, it's interesting. So we're here in Louisiana. We know a little bit about natural disasters. Uh, we also know a little bit about sheltering in place and and having to kind of come together as families and weather the storm, usually a storm. What you may have now is a little bit of a different situation. We were just chatting a little bit earlier where I think I'm on day 24. You might hear my children in the background, uh, my wife where this is really a different circumstance. This is something that really, I don't think our country has faced in maybe a hundred years where you have a, a pandemic. Families are gonna be coming together, but also having to come together and rely on each other, maybe more so than they have in a very, very long time, if ever this much before. And so it's going to be very, very important to care for each other, look after each other, but do so in a way that doesn't accentuate some of the negatives that we might see in these sorts of situations. So um, from from your experience and, and, um, and un- understanding how children process situations like this, what would you say it maybe are some things a child is dealing with personally and what makes that different um, than, than how adults maybe are, are, are processing this, this situation? 
So that's a great question. So when we think about how is a, a family going to to deal with or process this kind of situation, and in particular children, we have to acknowledge that the families listening to this could be very, very different. So you may have a blended family. You may have a single mother who has one child or three children. You might have your traditional two-parent family with, I believe, what is it now? Something, are we up to 2.2 children? Something around those lines. So depending on the family unit, you might have to adjust how you would, would cope with this or handle this. With children, though, it really is going to depend somewhat on what we mean by your child. My children are kindergarten and younger. So we are looking for reactions more typical, say, from a younger child standpoint. Another family might be talking about, say, a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old. Generally speaking, what we're looking for is if you see something in your child that, or your teenager that just that doesn't seem quite right. And beyond that, it's out of character and it's persisted for a period of time. Everybody, children, adults, grandparents, friends of the family, whoever is sheltering in your home with you right now is going to have what we would call a stress reaction to this. This is a, 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 an unusual, stressful situation. It's taking a toll on all of us. We're all going to be a little bit crankier at times. We're all going to be a little bit more sleepless. We're all going to maybe eat a little bit more if you're like me. Uh, we're all going to have these little exacerbations of, of stress response. The issue is going to be if we see this getting worse and worse and worse, and it's out of character for our child, you as the parent, you're going to know your child better than anybody else. And if it's going on for days, for weeks, let's hope not, but then it may get to the point where you're saying, okay, something is not right here, and this is more than I would expect. If you have that kind of concern, that typically is when it's either you're going to reach out maybe to, in this case, your family doctor or your pediatrician, because obviously getting sick or getting ill physically is usually a a strong precursor to having some of these sorts of symptoms. If all of that is ruled out or doesn't seem to be a concern, then it may be the point at which you want to maybe reach out to somebody like a psychologist or a therapist or counselor. Okay. So as adults, we're watching the news. Uh, we're reading articles on the internet. We're informing ourselves of as much as we can to understand what the facts are. And obviously we all know there's a lot of bad information out there in the world about this virus outbreak, but there's also good information and finding that good information is important for us so that we can have a knowledge of what's really happening and what we can expect. Um, children obviously are not watching the same things we're watching and listening or reading the same things that we are. So uh, when they start asking questions about what's happening, knowing our own children, are there, are there some general principles that you would say, are sort of vital uh, to help our children understand as much as possible um, what's really happening and why it's happening. What's what's the importance, I guess, what I'm asking, of, of um, giving our children as much information as we can um, so that they can be informed as well. Now, obviously, 
there's going to be a difference between, say, my 15 year old and, and a five year old. Um, so how would you balance that? And how much do you tell a child versus what do you withhold for the younger ones, maybe to keep them a little bit safer? So I think that's a, a very good question. How do we, we would say in our jargon, our terminology, how do we give a developmentally appropriate response? Really nice way of saying, how do I say exactly what I need to say? Not too much, but not too little. A few things are going to be relevant here. I think first off, you know your child best. You want to look and see, is your child asking about this? If they're curious, what is going on? Why are we staying inside more? Why are we at home? It's okay to answer those questions. And I think parents need that permission sometimes. There might be pressure there to feel like, I shouldn't say anything. I should cover this up. I should protect my child. You're protecting your child by not saying more than your child can handle or more than they need to know at a given age, but you're really not protecting your child by either not telling them anything or by going the other extreme. Uh, one of the things we know can be actually problematic is telling your child too much. Oh my gosh, did you know that now uh, there's hundreds more that have this? Now it's getting worse. Now there's a new symptom. Now there's this. How are you feeling right now, honey? Did you, oh, I heard you cough. Are you okay? That sort of thing will obviously increase anxiety and stress in children. So I think we want to read our child. We want to use our children to give us some of the cues that we need to have to, to respond to them. Am I going to tell my three-year-old, you know, why are we all at home? When If she asks, why are we all at home? I will probably say, well, there's some sick people out and we get to stay home. So hopefully we don't get sick. If it's my five-year-old who asks a little bit more about that, I might give a few more details. I won't get into the point at which we're going to talk about emergency rooms and hospitals and medical plans and, and that sort of thing, though, obviously. So I'm really going to let the child guide this a little bit. More often than not, in my experience, when you have children, if you give them sort of that immediate, sufficient, but not over-the-top answer, it's usually followed by an, okay, daddy, or okay, mommy, and they just go on with what they're doing. And they don't really fixate on it or focus on it too much. Okay. All right. That's, that's excellent for sure. So, uh, what are some things that would you say a parent shouldn't do during this time? Obviously, like I said before, we don't want to give them, um, bad information, certainly, because we don't want bad information, but we also don't want to give them too much information. Um, so what are some things that maybe parents should avoid doing, um, just to, just to protect their children? We want to be honest with them and give them answers, obviously that they can handle, um, depending on their age and maturity level. But, what are the things that we just shouldn't do uh, to, to also protect our children in, in, in avoiding some of these mistakes? So I think there's a, a few things. First off, uh, protecting our children, we want to do that from a lot of different perspectives right now as parents, as adults. One is just going to be the physical environment uh, and the, the overall germ environment, if you want to think about it that way. We're going to be looking to make things healthy to make things as clean as possible, but there are limits there. We don't need to wipe down everything 10 times, 20 times a day. 
But getting the kids actually involved in maybe some sort of a daily cleaning routine or whatever your medical professional recommends for your health needs. I think, too, not overexposing ourselves and our kids. So this would be for parents and adults and children, overexposing ourselves to the information on this. We know from the research that has been done, if you want to create a problem, if you want to create anxiety disorders, create depression, these sorts of things, the way you do it is by either hearing negative information, you see someone else react or respond badly to negative information, you have a bad experience yourself, or you kind of have just sort of that predisposition towards this. More often than not, it's an additive effect. It's all these things coming together. Unfortunately, you take something like the the current situation we have, where we're all experiencing this directly. We have the negative experience. We're hearing negative information about this. If you have the news on 24-7, If you're constantly chatting about it or talking about it and all the negative aspects, if then you're seeing how other people are reacting and if they're reacting very extremely towards all of this, and then if you already have that underlying predisposition there, we know that's setting things up for a bad reaction to this. So if you think about it then from a child's perspective, what are they seeing? The TV is on, and whenever they talk about this thing, it looks like mom and dad and grandpa and grandma get really serious and seem really upset. Then they start cleaning even more, and then they start getting very, very concerned. And then I'm hearing them say negative things and scary things. That can obviously lead a child to be very distressed and very upset. So I think some of those things are are what we want to not insulate completely. Our children from, but we want to, to just sort of take a healthy diet, almost like moderation, right? We want to take an approach where I want to watch the news and maybe I do that after the kids go to bed or when I put them down for nap, or maybe instead of listening to it all day long, I take a quick peek here and there on my phone uh, when I can read it and it's not really exposing everyone to it. The same holds true, though, for me as well. I don't need to be on that all day long. That is going to impact me as well. And so I don't really want to to expose myself to that much negativity, if you want to think about it that way. What I was going to ask you also is, as adults, what are things that that we need to do to be healthy enough to care for our children? I, I can't imagine an overstressed, panicky, fearful parent is going to do well trying to help their children through this situation. So you already mentioned a couple of things, not not consuming the news 24-7, kind of breaking away from that cycle a little bit just to clear your mind, you know, and, and think about some other things. We as parents have to be healthy. So if you if you could take that perspective, maybe what are what do we need to be doing as parents so that we can communicate well with our children during a crisis like this? That really they don't understand, but we don't fully really grasp it either. We don't know how long this thing is going to last. We don't understand what the ramifications are going to be long term yet. This is new, and so 
how, how, how would you encourage a mom or dad or a single mom or maybe even a grandparent who's raising their, their, their grandchildren, how can they remain healthy so as to help their children remain healthy through this, through, through this period of time? So with, with thinking about that, how are we going to get maybe the best possible outcome from this? We know from a lot of the, the trauma research, a lot of the, the research on how do we help adults and kids, for that matter, is routine. Routine is going to be super important for us. And that is going to, to be easy for me to say, right? But the issue becomes, it's not just sticking to the routine that we had. We can't do that. Most of us right now, there's no way. We're at home. I am now supposed to be part-time kindergarten teacher, part-time preschool teacher, as well as telecommute to my job, as well as, you know, be a husband and just a father. Routine, okay, it's gone. The typical routine has gone out the window. That does not mean, though, that we can't create a new routine that builds off of what we know works. So have a set time. You're, you're, everybody's getting up at such and such a time. Breakfast is going to be at a set time. Create a schedule, and that schedule can be for everybody. I mean, it might be adjusted a little bit here or there, given somebody has a work schedule, or you know, maybe you need to help a, a child with a, a web program so they can contact their teacher. Uh, but have a set schedule. We know that's going to help. Get good sleep every night to the extent that you can. Maintain your bedtime. I am a bad one, honestly, for letting my sleep drift backwards. I am a night owl. I love staying up late, and I know it's not good for me because it ruins the next day. I need to stick to that routine where I am going to bed still at the same time, getting up at a certain time. I'm getting the sleep that I need. To the extent that I'm able, getting some exercise, uh, if it involves safely getting out, walking around the block, uh, keeping that six-foot distance, uh, separation that we want to see, being able to chat with others, to de-stress. We are social creatures. I mean, everybody knows that. And the issue becomes, this is a unique situation where our traditional means of socialization are, are stressed, to say the least. We have the people around us that we care for and love and, and share very close relationships with, but we also like to be social with others because a lot of times the people we love and have the closest and most supportive relationships with are also ones at times, understandably and fairly, we have some of the most conflict with. And it's not because we don't love or care for those people. It's quite the opposite. Because we love and care for those people so much, we care what happens to them or we care what they say to us or vice versa. Having friends, having uh, other individuals that we rely on and socialize with helps us de-stress some of that. And so we're actually in a, a unique position now, though, where we have things like cell phones, we have uh, the video chat platforms, we can text, we can still be social in a, a more, albeit, you know, admittedly limited fashion, but we can still get some of that socialization with our friends, with our, our coworkers, with people important to us, while maintaining the necessary physical boundaries and distance. So I think those are going to be important. 
keeping track of your own functioning and your own health is going to be important. If you have a primary care doctor or you have a, a physician or a pediatrician, realize a lot of them have been quite amazing. They've made the jump over to that quote unquote telehealth where maybe you can't go to the actual office anymore or you have to have a certain severity of symptoms to do that. But if you're feeling kind of a little bit ill or having some trouble with this or that or the other, you might be able to get a, a tele-appointment, a video appointment with them and address some of the symptoms or, or issues that you have and not even have to leave your house when that happens. And so we want to look at it from the standpoint of just the, the basics of life uh, to the extent you can still maintain your, your health that way. I think that's going to be really important. That's excellent, Tom, man. Thank you so much for that, for sure. Um, yeah, I, th I think rhythm and routine are really important. Like I still get up and get dressed like I'm going to work every morning just, just because it just feels normal to me. You get up, you know, you, you take a shower, you, you brush your hair, you brush your teeth. You, you, I don't, the only thing I don't do is put, is put shoes on, you know, but everything else is ready to go. So if I have to leave the house for any emergency, I'm ready to go, but it gives me a sense of normalcy. And I think going through that rhythm or that routine could just help you uh, be a little more balanced over the course of the day. Um, if you stay in your PJs all day, just kind of what I call flop around the house and just kind of unproductive, that has a cumulative negative effect on your life over a period of time. And right now is the, le is the last time, or not the last time, but um, the, the most inopportune time to, to sort of um, let yourself go. Uh, because we're going to have to go back to work one day and getting out of the rhythm of working and staying focused with these extra measures of, of de-stressing and helping our children, it's, it's going to be really hard for us to get back into the regular rhythm whatever, whenever that happens. And so what I found, and certainly in my life and for our family, uh, staying on a schedule every day really helped us sort of uh, work through the day and not sit around thinking, well, what's next? Um, now, the advantage we had, and I talked to David about this a little bit before, was, um, you know, we, we homeschool our children. So the, the shift to doing work at, at home, schoolwork at home, wasn't a, as big a deal for us. Um, but I have older kids, too. I have a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old who want to go hang out with their friends. They, they want to leave the house. And the first week and a half, when we were kind of trying to stay home more, they didn't understand. They were like, I want to go see my friends. No one's getting sick. We're going to be fine. And it took a couple of weeks for all the parents to basically put their kids on lockdown and say, you can't leave for the protection of, of other people. And I think finally it took them a while to get there. And so what I found and my wife Ginger has found is keeping them in a rhythm every day has really, really helped just stay balanced over the course of the day. So that's really good that you, that you mentioned that. Let me, let me ask you a, a kind of a question off subject, but I think it has something to do with what you just said. Tell me a little, a little bit about your Nerf war in the backyard with your kids the other day. I watched that on Facebook and it was awesome. Well, my kids are vicious. First off, <laughs> um, there was no sympathy for dad whatsoever. I was outgunned, outnumbered. Um, keep in mind, I think keeping to a routine, keeping to a schedule, we want to emphasize that. For younger kids, you might even write it down or even, you know, use a picture schedule to help them understand. But I think realizing in this 
overall situation we all find ourselves in, nobody is going to be perfect. And nobody is perfect anyway, but especially now. And so you reach one of those moments where you realize the kids are about to go stir crazy. You're about to have cabin fever all over the place. And everybody just needs to get out and get some energy out. Uh, unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say it devolved into uh, grabbing Nerf guns and shooting at my children. Uh, they shot back and they shot first, I believe, uh, just in my own defense. Um, but, uh, you know, going out and, and realizing that nobody's perfect in this situation, it's okay to take some breaks. You're not pulling an eight-hour telecommuting day just like you would pull an eight-hour day at work. This is going to be a, a process we're all getting through and we're all adjusting to. This is not just, you know, you, Oren, or Dave, or me. This is the whole country and unfortunately most of the world having a, you know, basically a period of time of anywhere from weeks to maybe months of downtime in a, a way that means we're having to juggle work, play, socialization, isolation, all of these different things. And we're going to get through it. But I think it's it's going to be a process, and we're all going to have to be a bit more generous with each other and with ourselves to do it. That's a, that's a great line. More generous with each other. I think that's a certainly a biblical concept. And I want to get to the uh, to the biblical foundations for how we deal with this as parents, as individuals, and as parents. But a couple of questions about probably the 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 hardest part, maybe about some of this and what some families will have to go through. Um, I personally don't know anyone that's contracted the illness that that's close to me here in Baton Rouge. Um, I do know of some that are that are further away. Um, but there's a possibility that a family is going to have to deal with a serious illness or even a death um, from 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 this virus. And and I, I don't like dealing in hypotheticals, but sometimes they can help us think through issues. Uh, what what would you say to a parent who thinks their child is really struggling to the point where they think they need some kind of of help or or therapy to help them talk through and work through some of these issues. This is a traumatic event for some for some families. Um, and how would you encourage parents to kind of? You already touched on some of the signs, but how do you know when your child really needs someone else with you know with a with a degree, if if you will, to really help them understand what they're feeling and how they're processing this. And, uh, and, and what, what, what would you tell parents if they just asked you, will my child need therapy b because of this? How would you, how would you address that um, as a, as a therapist, as someone who knows the field, but just as a dad uh, as, as well, how, how would you help a, a, a family with that? So this is a unfortunate, but really complicated question right now. There's two things I want to be sure we think about with this. One is going to be someone who has a, a child and the child doesn't seem to have ever had any problems or difficulties before, but it seems like he or she is much, much more irritable than they've ever been. It seems like they're sleeping a lot more or a lot less. They're eating a great deal more or a great deal less. They're so much more anxious about this than it seems like anybody else in the family or anybody that I know of is. They're having just this greater reaction to it. 
generally speaking, when we look at our guidelines, when we look at the research, we would expect people to have a stress reaction to this. And you've heard me say that before. Well, how much of a stress reaction? Well, it, it, I hate to be this way, but it kind of depends. If this is either extreme in intensity, it's so much, how much it is, is much, much more than I expect my child to have ever had. I'm going to tell you, reach out first off to your medical professionals. Again, we want to be sure that this isn't just some sort of symptom of a, a four-year-old or a three-year-old who's actually physically ill, who maybe has the virus, as opposed to a psychological concern that we want to deal with. If that gets checked off and that, that seems okay, then it may be time to reach out to someone for therapy. The other thing can be if it's not just maybe more intense, but the, the duration, it's lasting so much longer than I would expect. Normally, we would say for something like a hurricane uh, or, or a PTSD kind of reaction, we would say, okay, we want to see probably several weeks of this. We would expect an adjustment period of weeks. I mean, this is not a small thing we're all getting used to and we're all adjusting to. All of this, though, we have to keep in mind is in response to just general data, general information. As a parent, Oren, Dave, y'all know your kids, and you know if for your child, this is really unusual, this is over the top, this is strange, and it's tomorrow the same thing, and it's the next day the same thing, you're going to be like, something is not right. You have that sense as a parent, I would... I would use that kind of intuition to trigger sort of starting to look at things and see what's going on. On the plus side, a lot of professionals have moved over into teletherapy now. So if some of the concern is, do I need to go to a, a psychologist's office or a counselor's office? A lot of individuals have moved on to these video platforms, the same as your pediatrician or your family doctor might have. And so you may not even have to leave the house. You may just have to try your best to find a quiet room in the house to be able to get some help that way. My suggestion would be in those instances, try to find somebody who has some experience with this, if you can, with experience, not just in what you think your child or your teenager is, is having a problem with, whether it's anxiety or sadness and depression or something else. But experience, if possible, with this telehealth platform, it's a whole different world in some respects to do therapy and to work with someone to help them overcome their challenges like this face to face than it is, let's do it through a camera. And so you want somebody who's not just jumping on the bandwagon and starting off with this. That being said, uh, there are a wide variety of trainings out there, and many of the professional associations have made these trainings available actually for free to us professionals, which has been wonderful. And so most individuals, they're not going to offer the service if they can't do it competently. The other thing that's going to be important right now, though, we don't want to overlook a whole group of individuals who may be particularly suffering right now. And those are individuals that going back prior to this starting already had some concerns. 
They already had issues with anxiety. They already had issues with depression or loneliness or a fear of germs um, or a, a, an obsessive kind of compulsive kind of problem. What do they do in this instance? They're even more detached and potentially even more uh, taken aback by all this going on. I would encourage those individuals, if they already had a therapist, I hope at this point, this far in, you've already reached out to those therapists and they should have a plan for you. No one should abandon their patients at this point, whether it's referring to someone else for help or whether it's being able to to help the patient themselves using a, a telehealth platform. But we need to realize there's two different groups we need to kind of watch out for. Those who maybe came to the table with some concerns and hopefully they're going to get the help they need and continue to be stable. And those who maybe now or maybe weeks or months in the future might unfortunately develop a, a reaction to this that we want to keep an eye on. Um, let's let's uh, shift a little bit to what I think is, is, is for at least for the three of us. And we know from many of the people that are, li- that are listening to this podcast and whoever else finds it down, down the road, uh, the, the, the matters of faith, um, our trust, our hope in, in God by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, this is, this is hugely vital. I believe to, to maintain a healthy perspective going through something like this. Again, we've never been through something like this before, but the world has been through large crises like this. And from what I've read, it seems that the Christians who have trusted in the Lord during these periods of time have, have, have seemed to have, have dealt with it better. And so can, can, can you speak to the role of faith and trusting in Jesus? And, you know, it's, it's one thing for us to say to our children, God is in control. Let's just trust the Lord. That is true. We, I firmly believe God is in control and we should trust the Lord. But what's, what's the importance of, of maintaining that kind of spiritual attitude in your home, but also helping your children to understand what that means when they sense there's a real threat out there? I mean, this, this virus feels a bit like a ghost in a way. You can't see it. There's all these studies about people who um, are asymptomatic but are carrying the illness and so in a minute, I want to ask you about a little bit about how we re-engage in society once this, this clears, but there, there's going to be some apprehension. Well, how do we help our children from a faith standpoint understand how God is still in control? Let's continue to love one another, serve our neighbors however we can in the healthiest, best ways. What's the importance of that in the lives of our children from a, from a faith standpoint? So it's important to realize we can come at that in our discussion right now, a couple of different ways. Uh, One, as a Christian myself, I can talk about faith, but also two, as a psychologist, we also know that the research has shown that those who have social support tend to do better in these kinds of instances. And religious coping has been linked to doing better in these kinds of situations. So having a fellowship, having a body around you to support you. And that's one of the things where we see so many churches are doing a great job, uh, First Baptist included, of as soon as we can, we are trying to get this into the 
the video environment and get that kind of routine going where back during your day of worship, you are back there. Uh, whether it's watching on a video screen, you're still getting that time. Sunday school being offered in a, a Zoom format where people can still listen and interact. So I think having that sort of fellowship is is crucial. From a faith standpoint, and I'm sure Oren would be so much better talking about this than I would, unfortunately, we know that just based on your faith and being a believer, it does not keep bad things from happening to people just because you believe. What we know is that it gives you a source of support and a source of caring and a, a, a uplifting sort of foundation that is there to help you. If things are going well, to be with you. If things are going poorly, to carry you to the extent that you need it. So I think having that faith and that faith structure personally, internally, helps you cope. It helps you have that relationship both within, but also without. So without yourself being the people that you have in your Sunday school class, the people that are in your immediate religious gathering that you can reach out to. Who can you call? Have you checked on others? One part of this is we tend to get very vested in ourselves pretty quickly. We are selfish individuals, um, arguably. And one of the things that this gives us an opportunity to do is pretty quickly look at, I've got others that I need to care about as well. I'm here worried about how clean can I get my my sink and my, you know, my light switches and my doorknobs. And I need to be thinking about what about the, the widow who is in a different neighborhood all by herself right now? Has anybody called her? Has anybody checked on her to be sure she has groceries? How is she feeling right now? What about my friends who are going through the exact same thing I am as well with their kids running around and their spouses and, and what have you? We need to come together as a fellowship, as a body of believers, and really engage each other as well as engage God. Yeah. That, 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 that's great stuff. And one of the things that I like to say a lot uh, to people is whenever we're surrounded with a lot of what ifs, we have to fight that with what is. So we, 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 we take the speculation and the doubts and the fears and the things that we don't know and we go back to what we know is true, right? So to, to take it from maybe a different perspective, if you're tucking your child in at night and they're worried about their friends getting sick or their, their friends' parents or grandparents getting sick or their teachers getting sick or whatever it may be, because they know this virus is out there and, it's, and people are, are dying from it, they know that. When we're tucking them in at night, there's a certain security that child's going to have when they look up at mom and dad and mom and dad says, I'm going to take care of you and you can count on me. You know, there's, there's a certain sort of comfort that comes to that child, even though they have some questions about what if this, what if that. One of the ways that all Christians, the, the most mature of us, need to fight off the what ifs with the what is, what is true from the scriptures. And so and I love the fact that you made the point just because we're believers doesn't protect us from getting sick. Um, the Lord calls the, causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked. So both both the wicked man's crops and the righteous man's crops are watered well. Both the righteous man's house and the, the wicked man's house are flooded. It, 
God is no respecter of people in that regard. And so this virus doesn't care whether you believe in God or not. The question is, are we going to help our children understand that God is in control? And here are some things that we believe based on what the scriptures teach. And, and if our older children have been taught well in their younger years, then we'll see a peace in their lives because they're, they're leaning on the promises of God versus uh, speculation and what ifs um, swirling around their minds. And so I, f- I find that to be a very helpful tool in really all of life. You don't have to be in a crisis. Just everyday stresses, doubts, fears, anxieties, worries. You fight the what ifs with the what is. And I think that's a helpful way for us to refocus our minds on what we know is true. And then let's build something on that that will give us a, a healthier perspective on life. And you already mentioned one of the best ways we can do that is the Lord's commanded us to love others. So let's teach our children how to to check on other people and love them and see if they need something that we can do for them or find some help for them. That gets them out of their own head and, and focused on other people. And I think that's a great way to help the oldest or youngest of our children really walk through these days, not thinking only about themselves. What has God commanded to love our neighbor? Well, how can we love our neighbor? If, if nothing more than just to pray for them, to pray for those who are elderly or who are sick with, the, with, with this coronavirus or whatever it may be, to teach them to think about other people during this period of time. Because this is going to end at some point. We don't know when. We keep hearing differing estimations and, and figures, but, but at some point, life is going to sort of reopen and we're going to be have to re-engage. So what are some ways that we as adults and, and how will we help our children as parents um, get, get to a point or to start thinking through some ways that uh, are some healthy re-engagements back into society? What are, what are some ways you think we can, we can help our children prepare for that in the next coming days and weeks? So I think part of it, we want to have uh, everything in moderation, right? Some of the the information out there, you as a parent, uh, you as a, a guardian or a caregiver, you need to to take some of that in and have some understanding of it. So uh, childmind.org has a lot of resources for the psychological side of, of working with kids. Uh, some of the other websites, uh, the American Psychological Association, they have what is called Division 53, Division 5-3. That's the one that specializes in kids. Their website should have some helpful information too. You want to know enough about the virus and how we understand it and what we're concerned about right now to be realistic, as realistic as you can be as a parent. And so One of the big things we get and we hear a lot from children is what we would call from a psychological perspective, catastrophic thinking. Uh, The shadow I see on the wall at night is a monster over in the corner. Well, as parents, we go in there and what what are you afraid? What are you upset about where there's a monster in the corner? We challenge that catastrophic thought, we would say. But we do it automatically as parents. We're not thinking, oh, yes, I am a psychologist now and I'm going to challenge my child's thinking. No, we do it as parents. Well, let's have a look. What do you see? If I walk over there, what is actually there? Let me give you accurate information to counter 
your catastrophic thinking, your over-the-top thinking. So what we can be doing from now through this process to help our kids is being informed, having safe practices in our homes, and then as we hear them, if they pick up on anything from somewhere that's just way over the top, we offer kind but corrective information. So I need to wash my hands 20 times a day. Well, you know, you really don't need to wash your hands, you know, sweetie, 20 times a day. Just wash them when they're dirty or wash them maybe if you cough into your hand. That's when the germs get on there. Again, we want that developmentally appropriate answer, but we're providing corrective information. We want to keep to that routine that we create for our families. And to a certain extent, we don't want the routine to prohibit this social engagement we're looking for. So part of it may involve, you know, if we every Sunday night usually go and and see grandma and grandpa, instead, maybe we give them a video call every Sunday night. And so we get into that routine, again, just a different way with the expectation that when this ends or it lifts to a greater degree, we're able to rejoin our old routine. And that's one of the better predictors we know of adjustment overall coming out of a traumatic situation is how quickly and how successfully can you get back into your old routine of what you used to do. Part of it may involve planning. Uh, I know, for example, uh, there's some family members I have. They're big planners. They don't necessarily need to do it, but they love the process of planning. And so maybe it's the kind of thing where we take a healthy look and we say, okay, you know, kids, family, we don't know when it's going to be, but, you know, we want to think about our next trip to the zoo or we want to think about our next vacation, uh, whatever your family is capable of doing. And you take some time and let's have some plans. What is our first big meal going to be when this is over? Um, Different things like that, that you want to set up some some future-oriented goals for your family. What are they going to do? From the perspective of what we've already talked about, what are going to be some things we could do to celebrate, maybe? It's a weird way of thinking about it, but maybe celebrate this all being over. Hey, you know the cards you've been making every week, kids, to send to um, Mrs. So-and-so who's all by herself or Mr. So-and-so who's in a, a nursing home now by himself? Why don't we take them out to dinner and we're going to have a big dinner with everybody or we'll invite them to our house, whatever seems appropriate at that time. So I think having some future oriented goals while we're chipping away at this as we go is going to be really important. That's excellent. I like I like those answers for sure, because it gets our children and even ourselves thinking ahead of normal life or back to a regular schedule. But we're also thinking about, again, back to helping someone else. How can we look outside of ourselves um, when we can re-engage with society and, uh, and no longer have to worry about staying home so much? How can we continue to love our neighbors as we already are now? So the, the example about the video call um, on a certain night of the week turns back into going to see grandparents that same night of the week or something like that. It's a great way to prepare our children to kind of re-engage because what we don't want is for them to be apprehensive or nervous about seeing people or touching people because they still think the germs are out there and they very well may be. Um, There's certainly 
if nothing more, we'll teach our children how to wash their hands a little more often, which can't hurt. And so, um, so I think some of these ways that we're thinking through re-engagement once this, this, this crisis lifts a little bit can help our children start thinking in more positive ways about it. So, um, well, that, that's all the questions I've got, uh, Tom, I think you covered a, a, a credible amount of, of area tonight, um, to help families, parents, grandparents think through, uh, how to help themselves, but especially their, their children. Tom, let me ask you this. There are certain things that we are doing differently during this time of quarantine with our kids. Do you have any advice that you could uh, speak to about how perhaps we as families can kind of carry some of these new things forward beyond this time of quarantine and outbreak? This is, these are difficult circumstances we're in. And if we're all working to, to get through this, realize we're going to come up with some things that are working for us as a family, that are working for our kids, that are working for us as parents. Just because this eventually does fade away or end doesn't mean we have to stop spending those 15 minutes at night reading a book to our kids or the video call on Saturday nights to grandma that we never thought of doing before, but now we just had the time. I would say look for some of the things that it's hard, but look for some of the things that are good that might come out of this we also want to carry forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's great. It's it's a great opportunity to to teach our children selflessness um, as we serve our neighbors, but also learn to to care for ourselves and make sure that we remain um, healthy. I tell you what I think. Tom has done a wonderful job walking us through these issues uh, because they are uh, at the forefront of so many of our, our parents' minds right now, because as we mentioned earlier, this is unprecedented. And, you know, I've talked about it before on, on our first episode, you know, I've, I've been, you know, our family through difficult, high stress circumstances overseas, you know, Ebola outbreak terrorist attacks, you know, mass protests, riots, things like that, but nothing like this. And, you know, the things that we went through there, uh, our girls were at a a different age and stage than they are now. And so it's wonderful to talk through these things. And I, I really appreciate Tom giving his time to, you know, share from his knowledge, his expertise, and just give us some words of encouragement. Uh, but also just kind of maybe help talk us down from the proverbial ledge a little bit as moms and dads, because one of the things that we never want to do, we're always afraid of doing as parents is we're going to ruin our kids through this. We're not going to handle it right. It's going to be a big mommy, daddy fail, and our kids will be in therapy till they're 40 and it'll all be our fault. And, and, you know, it's, it's not as bad as we often make it out to be. And so we've really received just some good uh, insights, some good practical steps. And I really appreciate Tom uh, sharing those things. And let me just go ahead and tack on, you know, we've talked about therapy a few times and I just kind of made a a little crack about it because, you know, we hear parents make that kind of comment quite frequently if they're honest. So let me just go on record right now as saying that therapy is not unbiblical. It's not anti-Christian. Therapy does not reveal some lack of faith in God on your part. 
nor does it indicate that you are a failure as a parent. Okay. So those are things that often come into the mind of a believing mom and dad when it comes to this issue of therapy. And so I just, you know, if Tom says it, you think, oh, well, he's paid to say that. So hear, hear from me, me, one of the pastors, that therapy is a good thing when you can identify an issue and you can go before someone that is uh, fully capable, knowledgeable, and certified uh, to talk with your kids, talk with you as a family through these things. You are not in any way thumbing your nose up at God by seeking that type of professional help. It can be very, very beneficial to you, and you can learn techniques in those therapy sessions that will help you for the rest of your life because, as we've mentioned before in the podcast, this is not the last crisis situation that we're going to be in. Other things will come up, and having those kind of skills will really, really pay dividends in the long run. That's right. Absolutely. Great, great word, Dave. Thank you so much for affirming that too, because I know um, some some families do do feel that way, and uh, and reminding them that we have um, trained professionals and, and Christians who can who can help our children understand um, and, and help us understand how to cope with some of these things are really is really important um, and and necessary uh, uh, part of, of of life sometimes. And so uh, we're thankful for people like Tom. Um, who study this, who teach this, but also practice this uh, for the health, for the mental health, and for the sp- the physical and spiritual health of of children and families. So, Tom, thank you so much uh, for joining us here tonight. Um, we had to get a little bit late night recording, so uh, you can get your family all tucked in. Mine are still running like animals through the house, and so I'll try to get them to go to bed at some point before midnight tonight. So, again, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I tell Allison, thank you for uh, giving you the time to do this tonight. And uh, any, any final words before we go? Well, thank you all for, for having me on. I really appreciate it. I just want to tell everyone uh, to double down on what Dave and, and you have said. I have worked with so many people over my career of all works, you know, all walks of life. And uh, it's, it's really amazing to be able to, to help the families and the parents that I, I've seen. But realize it's not a sign of weakness. We would say more often than not, what you're talking about is, for some reason, the things that are working for the majority of other parents just aren't clicking for me and my kids or my family. And it really is just learning a different set of skills or a different way of handling things uh, that can be beneficial. I would encourage people, if they're having any kind of of problem like this, certainly you should reach out to a a therapist or reach out to, you know, your faith leader, whether it's Oren and Dave, uh, or, you know, if it's, you don't know where to start, maybe reach out and talk to your physician, but do reach out. That's usually the hardest part. Uh, Keep in mind too, if, if you're having more serious kinds of concerns, Please do get help or or call 911 if you have to. But stay safe, y'all. That's all for this episode. Thank you again for listening to Footnotable. If you enjoy our weekly musings, please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with someone you love. A five-star rating would be much appreciated, too. You can keep up with Footnotable on social media 
through the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts of First Baptist Church Baton Rouge. You can find all three at username FBCBR or on our website at FBCBR.com. Know that our prayers are with you, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again next week.